0: Live from San Diego, California, we go live to the newsroom with your host, for Nick's Nerd Well hey there friends, and welcome to Nick's Nerd News. I'm your host Nick, if that wasn't already a little obvious. Welcome to this week's rendition of the show. Uh, I'd like to start off always just doing a little shameless plug here for for the Instagram and, and Facebook and Twitter and Nick's Nerd News, all three of those. Uh, just type that in, you'll find it. Just look for the logo. I'm sure you're used to seeing that when you see it on your preferred podcast origin. Also check out nicksnerdnews.com. You can go there to get links to all the social medias. You can also go there to get links to the show. So if you want to listen on Spotify or Google or iTunes, you can click right there and, and find links to the show. Or you can listen to it right there in your browser if you want. So that's totally up to you guys. However you want to listen, do you do you, right? Okay. Anyway, let, let's just forget all that. We are about over halfway done with April. And a lot of stuff happened this week. In terms of uh, just about everything, actually. Um, Obviously, last week the major news was Star Wars Rise of the Skywalker, and, and theories are just flying around everywhere. I mean, I'm sure you've heard enough. I spoke at length about Star Wars Celebration, and obviously we have months to go before before the movie comes out, so people will just be speculating wildly. And obviously more trailers will come out as, as time goes forward. This was just a teaser that we got. But hey, that's uh that's how the the cookie crumbles, right? <laughs> Am I right? But let let's uh let's get right into it, huh? Video games. Mortal Kombat comes out, uh should be out actually. Will be out by the time you hear this. And can't wait to get that. So we'll talk about that on next week's show, along with Avengers, obviously. But uh, Mortal Kombat actually dropped a new trailer this past week to get people hyped for the game, and oh my god, it got me like hyped on another level. Mainly because it used the song from the movie, and and you know the, yeah. and then like the the music like, and I was just like. This is fucking getting me hyped. I can't fucking wait. I mean, I've I've always loved the Mortal Kombat games. The new timeline ones are are pretty friggin' awesome. And uh, it it so Mortal Kombat that came out in 2011 was kind of like a a reboot, if you will. It it kind of told the story of the first couple games over. And then Mortal Kombat 10 or Mortal Kombat X, however you want to say, uh, kind of kept that storyline going and then takes place like 20 years later for a majority of it. That's how you get like Cassie Cage and Jackie Briggs, you know, Jax's daughter and and uh, Johnny... Cage and, and Sony Blade's daughter, Cassie Cage, you know, and, and all those different characters because it takes place in like a future. And then this one, obviously, they're they're playing around with time a whole lot more if you've seen any of the ads, with the main villain being Chronica or Chronica and, and her time manipulation powers and things like this. And obviously everything revolves around Raiden and, and Scorpion and things like that. So I'm I'm stoked. I cannot wait. Uh definitely check out that trailer if you haven't yet. Granted, the game's gonna be out by the time you're listening to this, but you you can still uh, you can still go look at trailers and and maybe change your mind on on uh, on a game if, if you haven't fully decided yet. Also, I guess uh, it came out that there was a company that was working on a, a remaster of the original three uh, original three Mortal Kombats, but I guess uh, Warner Brothers had pretty much given them the go ahead. And then pulled the plug at, like, the last minute. Which kind of sucks. Granted, how do you remaster a game like that? Because they used, like, footage of, like, actual people that they superimposed in the game. So, I, I'm sure it, someone knows how to do it. It just, it might look, might look weird or different. Wouldn't look uh, the, the, the right way. But, who, who knows? But that's it. Uh, if you have a Switch and you always wanted to play Cuphead, it is now available for purchase on your Switch. Uh, it used to be a Microsoft and PC exclusive and, and is now available on that platform. Uh, it's a really fun game. It's really fucking hard. I would definitely urge you to get it because you get to support a, a nice indie studio. Uh, they hand-drew pretty much everything in the game. If you just want to support artists, it's like a $20 game, so probably digital only. I doubt that they didn't do a physical release for Xbox, so I don't think they have a physical release for, for Switch, but I, I I don't know. I don't buy Switch games yet. So, Corey Barlog, the studio head at Sony Santa Monica, the the, the the studio behind God of War, they've been doing a lot of stuff on Twitter and social media lately because the one-year anniversary of God of War is coming up uh, next week, April 28th, I want to say. Uh, they've been doing a whole lot of teasing and things like this, and People thought, oh, DLC's coming, and, and they're like, no, we have to clarify that it is just one-year anniversary content, like themes and, and other stuff, no no actual DLC for the game, at, at least not story content, things like this. Um, but they did announce that a God, a God of War documentary will release on YouTube, kind of talking about how the game was made. Uh, it's called Raising Kratos, and it's actually out now. Um, so you can watch that on, on YouTube if if, uh, if you guys are interested. That game was amazing. It, it won all the Game of the Year awards. Pretty much stealing everything from from Red Dead Redemption 2. But granted, both of those games were perfection last year. It, it'll be a long time before something can top both of them story-wise. But who knows? Cyberpunk 2077 isn't, isn't far off. Matt Wood, who is a sound... Director at Lucasfilm, uh, also the voice of General Grievous in like episode 3 and some of the other Star Wars content, was being interviewed at Celebration. This this came out afterward, after people really had time to just like uh, decompress and really understand everything that had been going on at Celebration. Uh, pretty much teased that a new Lego Star Wars game is coming. Um, a lot of people have been theorizing this and there's been other rumors and leaks um, because there was no Lego Star Wars for the Last Jedi, the last Lego Star Wars game to come out was the Force Awakens, so we've we've kind of had a bit of a drought in in terms of that. But he pretty much teased that they were working on on sound editing and mixing for that. But that'd be awesome. Um, Lego games are always fun. I always get them after the fact when they're like on super discounted sales, like digitally. But they're fun to play. I mean, I have nephews, so it's always good to have a game like that available for them to play, other than Minecraft so that way you just don't go insane listening to the Minecraft music but i'd welcome another Star Wars Lego Star Wars game they're they're a, they're a blast to to play especially the collectability and, and replayability in those games is is on another level Traveler's Tales really knocked it out of the park there uh, we had an announcement for Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 remember this is a Switch exclusive it will release on July 19th so if if you guys uh, are into that that that's when you can get that uh, what is this mark cerny um he's like the 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 lead developer or i, I forget his official position at, at sony uh and playstation was interviewing uh was being interviewed by wired magazine and apparently they pretty much gave all the specs on the next gen playstation uh stopped short of calling it playstation 5 which is an odd move i i don't get that totally i, I understand it because they don't want to Ruin people's expectations because the internet just will blow up over the tiniest little fucking thing. Um, but he he said some some really interesting things. Uh, it will have a solid state drive, uh, but it will also have the ability for ray tracing and 8K graphics. Those two things stand out the most because ray tracing is fairly new in terms of uh, modern GPUs. I mean, Nvidia's new 20 series just came out, and those they, I think they only just added the ability for ray tracing, like, recently in a software update. And ray tracing is normally used in, like, movie special effects, and gaming has yet to take full advantage of it. And granted, those graphics cards are, like, two grand a apiece if, if you want to have that ability. Most games don't even support it. Hell, I think maybe one or two. Granted, things are going to start changing in the next year or so, so by the time... This PlayStation comes out, ray tracing might be a thing. I don't know if if TVs will be able to 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 put that out because TVs work a lot differently than computer monitors in terms of refresh rates and things like this, but I I, I don't know. The 8K was really interesting because we only really got our first 8K TVs released at at CES this year, and they're ridiculously expensive. Granted, 4K TVs came out a long time ago and were really expensive in the beginning, but 4K is only really being widely adopted in the last year or so. So this is an odd move by them to just be like, oh, an 8K, because like who, who cares? No, most the general consumer, the 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 majority of people that are going to buy this console, um, and like the 90 plus million people that bought PS4, are not going to have an 8K TV. A majority of them will probably have a 4K TV by the end of next year. That's just how the market's moving. It's almost like you can get a four, a basic 4K TV without HDR for like a couple hundred bucks. So the 8K comment was like, cool. Like who who? I, granted, I'm an early adopter. What you would call that? Because I like to get things new and as soon as I can, you know, money withstanding. But I will not be able to afford an 8K TV as they stand right now granted in a year's time we don't know what the technology is going to be what the advancements are going to be and what the pricing is going to be like but still 8k i feel like is still two or three years off before it's a a, a viable option for most people not even most people for like a small minority of people because the people that are going to be able to afford and get 8k tvs are like a like an extremely small minority just because it's like Eight grand for like a, the cheapest 8K TV right now. I I know that's a weird thing to focus on, but but anyway, it will have backwards compatibility with PlayStation 4. Nothing beyond that was announced, and it won't be download only, um, which obviously means it will still have a disc drive. Uh, also, in the same Wired interview, uh, he said that PSVR will work. Uh, the current PSVR will work with the next generation PlayStation. Uh, its CPU will be based off AMD's Ryzen third-generation variant chip chipset, and that its uh, GPU, or, or technically its graphics card, will be based on a custom Radeon Navi series, which is uh, one of Radeon's current current series right now on on graphics units. So that's um, just a little bit of news. Obviously, we're we're still months away from any real news on it and official specs. Those are just um, things that he hinted at and, and no official numbers. I'm sure we'll know more at E3 or if they have a, a PlayStation experience this year. But that was Mark Cerny talking to Wired. Speaking of, of gaming experiences, uh, Gamescom, which is the, the yearly conference in Cologne, Germany every year, uh, which is in the fall or later in the summer, August. Uh, Jeff Keighley, the man behind the Game Awards, will getting, is getting his own announcement show at Gamescom, so so he'll host that like the first day. So be on the lookout for that. Microsoft was back with their Inside Xbox this past week, and they they dropped some some news on some more games headed to Game Pass. But uh, they made the all digital uh, Xbox One S all digital edition official. Uh, it will come with one terabyte. will be uh, will always have a suggested retail price to be fifty dollars cheaper than the standard Xbox One S. So they're shooting at two fifty. Um, I know you can get an S right now for about $250, but the, the suggested retail price on that is normally $300. So I'm guessing with this coming out, de- depending on various sales and things like this, de- some at some point in the year, you might be able to get an Xbox One S, not an X, but an S for probably like 200 bucks if you're lucky. Um, right now, it comes with three games, and uh, it comes with like some stuff for Game Pass and, and other deals. Um, and then in this, uh, that releases on May seventh, so just a couple weeks away. Um, and then on top of that, they announced Xbox Game Pass Ultimate. It's official now. Uh, combines X, uh, Xbox Live and Game Pass for fifteen dollars a month um, for just that nice, lovely fee, and you get access to both. So normally those things on their own at a monthly cost would be twenty bucks. So you're saving a little bit of money here. Um, I don't. They didn't announce if you can get it in like 6 month, 3 month or 1 year increments just so far uh, as a monthly fee. So that's usually the more expensive way to do it. Like if you buy Xbox Live monthly, it's 10 bucks a month, but if you buy it like in 3 month or 6 month or a year, they're always on sale though. So you can always get it cuz normally it's 60 bucks for the year, but sometimes it's down to like 40. So it's obviously cheaper to buy it in the year increments as opposed to as opposed to like monthly. And then uh, a lot of things have been going out. The NPD group, they're the ones who keep track of, of sales of gaming and things like this. I saw this on, on Reddit a lot, IGN. A lot of people had this. But some people compiled the top 10 best-selling video games of all time. And uh, this is just this is just the, uh, the top 10, obviously. So Diablo 3 is sitting somewhere around 30 million copies sold. Uh, and that released in 2012. So that hasn't had, uh, it's had quite a bit of time to, to get up to that 30 million. But let me put some other things. When we get closer, you'll, you'll understand that it's a little ridiculous. Uh, Wii Sports Resort uh, so has sold around 33.09 million. That was released in 2009. Mario Kart Wii, released in 2008, has sold around 37.14 million copies total. The original Super Mario Brothers, which released in 1985, has sold around 40 million copies. Uh, The original Pokemon games, so Red, Blue, Green, and Yellow, which released in 96-97, have sold around 45 million copies total. Granted, that's four games, so they technically all count as one. Uh, PUBG, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, has sold 50 million copies. And was originally released in early access in 2017, so a lot of people got that game for 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 cheap essentially, and got a free upgrade of the final version. Wii Sports, which released in 2006, has sold 82 million point eight six copies. And then here here's some here's one that's a, a huge kicker, and it's only been out for about five and a half years. Grand Theft Auto V has sold a hundred million copies. This is the, the number three selling game of all time, and released in 2013. So, look look at this. Diablo couldn't get its shit together in seven years, and sold 30 million copies. Where GTA is essentially just printing money for Rockstar and Take-Two Interactive. Sold 100 million copies in five and a half years. Crazy. And then Minecraft, who Microsoft bought for, what, two billion a, a number of years ago? has sold 154 million copies, and its original release was 2009. That's insane. Almost almost 200 million copies in about 10 years. And then the number one selling game of all time, and this is taking into, into account um, uh, numerous different factors and different versions, obviously, so it's, it's cheating a, a tiny bit, but Tetris has sold 500 million copies... Since 1984, making it the number one selling game of all time. It, it, it's rather interesting to see how these, these numbers play out. That the original Pokemon are so high, PUBG is a lot higher than you'd expect. And granted, Fortnite doesn't have true numbers because it, it's not officially sold as a game. So it, it can't really be tracked in a traditional sense. So I'm sure Fortnite is somewhere in the realm of the top five. But again, we don't have official numbers per se. Uh, it could probably knock PUBG off. Maybe Wii Sports. Who knows? Who knows where that where that lies? But that's that's gaming for this week. We're gonna change it up again this week just cause cause uh, movies. Uh, cause I want to talk about Game of Thrones at the end. We'll we'll talk about Episode One, obviously. Um, just so we we have a, a week for people to, to catch up. But movies. The creator of the TV show Killing Eve uh, has been hired, apparently, to liven up the Bond 25 script, which is supposed to start shooting later this year, for a release later uh, in the year. Uh, Later in 2020, excuse me. So, I'm I'm sure we'll get more news on that. Daniel Craig's last Bond, obviously. Michelle Yeoh, who's been extremely busy as of late, uh, you know, being in Star Trek Discovery and, and many things, is actually joining... Ah, uh, the Avatar sequels. She was recently cast. Uh, no word on on who she will be playing. Just that she's going to be joining the uh, plethora of Avatar sequels currently in development. Uh, finally, got some news on the long gestating Minecraft movie. Um, after Rob M- McElhenney left the show, uh, at left the movie. Excuse me. Um, and it, and it was delayed. Essentially, it was supposed to come out this year. Uh, now, Peter Solett, uh who worked on Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, has been named as the new director and writer of the movie, and is expected to drop in March of 2022. So we're a full uh, three years away from that movie coming out. Yeah, that's a long time. Very long time. We got our first look at the new Chucky, uh, or the Buddy Doll, as they're calling it in the new Child's Play. Very modern take of a... a possibly like Internet of Things doll or IOT doll, you know, who's connected to different devices. Got a new trailer for it as well, and it, it takes advantage of the of a, a new modern setting where he can connect to different smart devices and, and, and use those to his advantage to uh, kill you, essentially. I, I know they said Mark Hamill is voicing him, but you don't really get a whole lot of that in the in the trailer. Maybe because the trailer was cut before they cast him, And he hasn't been able to really record his lines just yet. Um, Speaking of casting, uh, there's news that John Cena is circling the new Suicide Squad movie uh, to essentially take over for Batista, who had to bow out for scheduling reasons. Um, This is rumored to be the Peacemaker character. Uh, This would be John Cena's first superhero movie uh, since he parlayed into the job of acting from being a professional wrestler uh, if he does join the Suicide Squad. He's actually become a really good actor. Uh, in the beginning he wasn't great. obviously the rock wasn't great in the, in the beginning either. but if you want to see a really good John Cena watch uh, uh, blockers, uh, which he plays like one of the, the parents trying to block their kids from getting uh, having their first time having sex obviously in, in, in uh, on prom night, you know I, I reviewed that movie a while back when it came out and uh, he was really good in that Amy Schumer movie. I can't think of the name, but he was he was really funny in that as well. But it, he's definitely grown as an actor, so that that's good. I, I I'd welcome him in that. And obviously he was in Bumblebee. I haven't seen it yet. Um, I do want to watch it, but I, I heard he was a, a standout in that movie as well. Um, Spider-Man: Far From Home. Speaking of sp- uh, superhero movies, uh, has had its release moved up about three days. So it was originally scheduled to come out on July fifth. It will now come out on July second, so that way people can take full advantage of it on their Fourth of July. Holiday, if they have one, obviously. And uh, Kevin Feige, uh, the head of the Marvel Studios, I uh, was giving uh, giving a talk to fans in Shanghai, and, and Newsweek got him uh, saying that it's the end of the third phase for him. So everyone thought that Phase 3 ends with Avengers Endgame next week, but I guess according to him, technically Far From Home was supposed to start Phase 4, but I guess this is going to be the end of Phase Three, then, which opens the door to a whole lot more answers—or wrong. It opens the door to a whole lot more questions than answers. Which, um, yeah, I don't. That makes no sense, man. I'm confused. That that makes makes my head hurt. Just like what? How does that? How does that play into the story that's being told in Phase Three? Does that make Far From Home a, a prequel? To to Endgame now and and Infinity War, is it a sequel? Do we know? Like I I don't I don't understand. Granted, you can't trust the trailers anymore because they've openly admitted that they they lie. But granted, this is technically a Sony production, so I don't know. I don't know at all. Staying on the MCU beat here real quick, Tessa Thompson, who played Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok, has heard that Taika Waititi. Has already pitched Thor four to Marvel. Um, now this is just things that she had heard. She didn't confirm. It goes in line with uh, that recent interview that Chris Hemsworth gave, saying that while he he had kind of become disillusioned with the character after Thor: The Dark World, but then Thor: Ragnarok really invigorated, reinvigorated his love for the character, and he would like to keep staying Thor. So so who knows what what's who knows what's in store for the future of Thor. Toho, who you might not be familiar with, unless you're a big kaiju fan, but essentially they're the, the creators of, um, or they own the rights to Godzilla, and they, they share those rights with legendary pictures here in the U.S. Uh, so that we can have American Godzillas, but Toho is probably one of the largest studios outside of, of the U.S. film uh, industry. Uh, they're They're the biggest in Japan, obviously, Um, They they do more than just kaiju films. You know, they actually produce a lot of anime. Uh, Pokemon in particular, all the Pokemon movies are actually done by Toho um, when they're released outside of the U.S. And they recently announced that they hope to make more waves and moves into the U.S. market to kind of build up their portfolio here, which I I would welcome wholeheartedly. Uh, Hopefully this doesn't put a kibosh on plans um, for the current... uh, Monsterverse, as they're calling it, you know, with Kong and Godzilla, and Godzilla King of the Monsters uh, next month, and then Godzilla vs. Kong next year. Um, hopefully that will just make a nice partnership between them, but I I, uh, I welcome this, especially since they produce a lot of anime films and anime shows in general. Because um, hopefully that will bring a lot more to the U.S. and, and, and widen their audiences, That's it's a good thing. It's, it's always a good thing. Uh, Scott Derrickson... Uh, who was the director of the first, uh, the first uh, Doctor Strange movie, and obviously working on the next? Also directed some other uh, horror films in in the past, but he recently tweeted an image that made it seem like he might be working on a new Hellraiser project. And what's funny is it wouldn't be his first. Um, but I, I know that. Uh, granted, I've never really seen a Hellraiser movie all the way through. I just know who Pinhead is. He's a a pop culture icon, essentially, just like most horror main horror characters seem to be, but but it he he made it seem like maybe something's going on that we don't know about. I I know some other Hellraiser projects have been in the works for quite a while, so maybe maybe he can breathe new life into it, especially after what he's been able to achieve with the different uh, things surrounding Doctor Strange, and we'll see what happens with Doctor Strange too, obviously. Uh, so this was a bit of odd news, but uh, Michelle Borth, uh, she's an actress, she played a, a little bit of spoiler alert here for Shazam. It's been out three weeks now, if if, if you didn't know, I mean, you might have not seen this online yet, but uh, the Marvel Extended Family shows up in, in Shazam, you know, Mary Marvel, Captain Marvel Jr., um, I don't remember what the other ones are called, but I, I don't even know if they're going to go by that name anymore, because that's what they are in the comics still. And obviously Captain Marvel goes by Shazam. Yes, I'm talking about Shazam and not Captain Marvel, so just bear with me here. Um, But Michelle Bort, the actress who plays the grown-up, the the Shazam version of of Mary Marvel, not uh, Mary, one of the foster kids, uh, recently said that she uh, has signed with DC and Warner Brothers for a five-picture deal. So obviously Shazam 2, in some capacity... And then, will the extended Shazam family show up in other DC movies? I wonder how that will play out. Who knows? It, it could be just a five-picture deal where she just does five movies with Warner and not necessarily just DC. Because that's that's the way it reads, but no word on what the truth is of, of that statement. And then, I saw Hellboy this weekend, uh, the new movie. Yeah, that movie was mediocre at best. It's getting... It, the the rotten score and the Metacritic score are not great. They're hovering in the the high fifties, low sixties at best. And I, I mean, it was visually cool, but other than that, it was um, it was lacking on plot. It was lacking uh, in substance. Really, there was a lot of plot holes. It came off as uh, as one of my friends that I saw the film with it described it as very campy, and I I would I agree with that statement. It was very... it came off as very fake a lot of times, too, and overacted. I, I know that David Harbour, uh, there's been stories about him being like a diva, and he didn't want to do too many takes of scenes, which, I mean, when, when you sit in the makeup chair for as long as he probably did as Hellboy, you probably want to get out of it as fast as you can. But but again, that that's still not like an excuse um, Mila Jovovich came off, her stuff especially came out as like extremely overacting, and it seemed like she was reading off a cue card for a majority of the time. And they weren't really able to balance the humor with the seriousness of the film, which the uh, Del Toro movies did very well, the Guillermo Del Toro ones. Uh, David Harbour was cool as Hellboy, uh, looked odd in a couple places, like the, the makeup wasn't consistent at certain times. And there, there's they kind of rush you into it as, as if you might have seen the other ones and had an, a basic idea of Hellboy. Um, there is some backstory, obviously, for people who've never seen it before, uh, the other ones or have read the comics. And uh, there's a an interesting story at play, but ag- again, some things were graph uh, graphically a- appealing and and great and and held up very well compared to some other modern superhero type movies. Other things came off as uh, as if they were on like a like made for TV like sci-fi movie in in terms of effects quality, not great. Uh, there's a lot of story bits at play that that don't make sense as well. Like there's uh, points in the story where they go certain places and and things don't add up in a way that they should. So that's was kind of a little confusing at points, It's like, wait, what, why is that character this all of a sudden, and that's not explained all the way, they're also, they take advantage of their R-rated, or actually, sorry, before, before I, I go too far, let me, let me go back to the, 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 the graphics for a bit, there's, there's a lot of fight scenes in this movie, and at points, a lot of these fight scenes have a lot of strobing light effect, like lightning, or things flying by, and, and it, it kind of helps them hide the fact that they didn't do a whole lot in terms of their effects budget that might have been wasted on like a scene early on in the movie. They use that like strobe effect to kind of hide the fact that the fight scenes aren't well choreographed or uh, uh, graphically pleasing to look at, and that could be part of it, which was another thing that kind of took away from the movie. Um, but the other thing is... It was great to have Hellboy rated R because it can take full advantage of the, the comical setting the comic setting, not comical setting, but the setting in the comic, you know, with demons and, and things like this and gore and language. But it, it, it was almost and I, I don't have an issue with gratuitous violence for the most part. But when it's used as uh let's just do it because we can, that's when it goes beyond gratuitous and it's just like like why why? And they they like overemphasize the fact sometimes at like the 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 desiccation of of people and the brutality of, of these different situations with demons like ripping people apart and, and, and it was almost like it, it didn't make me feel uncomfortable. I d I don't want to make it seem that like that. But it was just kind of like but why? And it was like oh it was too over the top. And it's almost like, hey, we can be rated R, so let's just do it because. And granted, I was talking about like Mortal Kombat at, at the beginning of the episode here. And that, that game is known for going over the top and gratuitous violence and things like that. But they use it in a way that like fits the story they're trying to tell. And yes, fatalities are supposed to be like ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculous things that would never happen in reality. But in Hellboy... They do similar things with these ridiculous demons that show up, but it's almost like, like, did, did you really need to do that? I, is that really necessary? And it was almost just like, it, it, it was laughable to a degree, the the things that were going on. And I, I just felt that it was, it was too much. And I usually don't say that. And it was, I, I don't know, they, they could have scaled it back a bit and still gotten the same point they were trying to make. But it was almost like not grotesque, but it was almost to the point of like, I don't know if you ever played the game or seen clips of the game Dante's Inferno, where that game was just like so over the top. it was just it was just dumb and was just wrong. that That's almost what was going on here. And I was just like, why? why? Like you use the R rating to a effect that makes sense. Not to the point where it's like, oh, we can just show these gross-out, like, killing-death scenes. Like, no, come on. Ridiculous. But if I had to score it, honestly, and I didn't have high expectations going in because I know it was getting reamed by uh, critics and users alike. I don't have a, a big history with Hellboy like I do with Batman and things like this, and I do like the Del Toro films. But in all honesty, I uh, honesty, excuse me, I would give uh, Hellboy the 2019 film a 4.5 out of 10. Like I said, mediocre at best, and there were serious issues with this movie. It does leave the door open for a sequel. I don't know if it will get one because it's not making money at all. Uh, it didn't even win its first weekend. It dropped to like three or four in its second weekend it is not doing well financially at least in the u.s i don't know what it's doing abroad so it's it's not not by any means a good thing and that that happens in in the movie industry i mean not everything's going to be a winner not everything's going to be a a marvel knock it out of the park billion dollars easy so that's it for movies Uh, let's let's finish off with tv here the creator of bojack horseman and the artist from BoJack, the, whose style is used in BoJack Horseman, is uh, creating a new show. Uh, it's called Tuca and Birdie, and it will be on Netflix. And it's got the same artistic style as, as BoJack, obviously, as it's the same artist. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't pl- take place in BoJack's world, which is a, a missed opportunity, if you ask me. But it's about a toucan and like a bird, um, and I guess they're long friends. But the toucan is being played by Tiffany Haddish. And then the bird is being played by Ali Wong. It looks funny, uh, especially seeing like anthropo- anthropomorphic animals interacting as if they were like real people. Uh, and with real people uh, while, they're, while they're at it. Um, so I, I'm excited for that show. It looks funny. If it's the same people involved with the BoJack, you know it's going to be at least uh, decent, if not really good. So I'll definitely give that a chance. Ali Wong and Tiffany Haddish are, are pretty funny comedians. Comedians, comedians, uh, however you say it. So I, I uh, have decent hopes for this show. Uh, and back to Michelle Yeoh. Look at that. Twice we're talking about her today on, on, on the show. On Nick's near News here. Uh, and she was uh, talking about Star Trek Discovery as she was back in Season 2. And she's actually going to be in the, in their spin-off show about Section 31. Uh, she was just talking about how that show's going to be start production later in the year and things like this. And... Uh, Section 31 is like the Black Ops group for the United Nations uh, Space Command. In, or no, United Nations Space Command is Halo. In um, the Federa- United Federation of Planets is Star Trek. It's like their Black Ops group. Um, and they have technology usually that's beyond uh, what the normal federation has. Their first appearance was minor roles in the original series. We didn't see them again until uh, Deep Space Nine. Um, and the Dominion War, things like that. Section 31 was actually involved a tiny bit in Star Trek Into Darkness as well, the second in the Kelvin timeline movies. Um, uh, they've had a big presence, though, in Star Trek Discovery, and it looks like she's going to be part of the cast on the new focus Section 31 focus show. No word on if that's the official name yet or not, but she production starts later this year. Speaking of Star Trek, the Jean-Luc Picard show has added a couple cast members, uh, including Allison Pill, who is joining as a series regular. You might know her from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and, and some other movies and programs. Uh, she was in the newsroom. They did not announce what her role would be, just that she would be a series regular or, along with some other actors. Um, but they also did discuss that Jonathan Frakes, uh, known as Lieutenant Commander Riker in, in The Next Generation, will be directing three episodes of the series. Uh, he's actually... Been a long-time director of Star Trek shows. He's done quite a few episodes of The Orville as well. The Seth MacFarlane uh, spoof, if you will, of Star Trek. Uh, Manifest was renewed for a season two. I don't see it going much farther than that, as we've discussed on this show previously. Uh, The Lord of the Rings Amazon show is expected to begin filming in August in Edinburgh. So not in New Zealand, like the movies, but in Edinburgh, Scotland. So that presents itself already distant distancing itself from the tone of the movies just in setting alone. Unless, obviously, they film in a soundstage and, and things like that. So we'll see when that show actually drops what it's what the tone in uh, uni- world building will be like. And Showtime's Halo series has found its master chief in Pablo Schreiber, who is the half-brother of Liev Schreiber, who obviously played Ray Donovan on Showtime. He was Sabretooth in the... Wolverine Origins film. Been around the block a lot and done a lot of things. He does a lot of voiceover work as well. But Pablo Schreiber, uh, his his half-brother, will play Master Chief. um, And then they announced a couple of other cast members who are going to be new characters to the Halo mythos. And uh, we'll see if Master Chief actually takes his helmet off. And, And essentially this would be the first official look at what Master Chief looks like underneath the helmet. Other than just his eyes that we see in Halo 4. As I think this show will be official canon in the Halo Mythos. They haven't officially announced that yet. So we'll find out later in the year uh, once production is fully underway. We got our first trailer for DC's Swamp Thing. Um, which is supposed to start in May. Um, and our first look at Swamp Thing proper as well. It looks great. Uh, but this is all also on the back of, of news that was never officially confirmed, but it was rumored that production had stopped and that the season order went from 12 to 10 episodes, I think it was, as DC shifts to refocus how DC uh, Universe Online works. Which is a little interesting, to say the least, because I, I figured a lot of people were liking that that how that service worked and the, excited for the shows that were on it, but it, it's, it's weird that that would come out. Like the day before the trailer dropped, so I I don't know. Nothing's been confirmed yet on in that regard, but uh, be really shitty if it does, because hopefully that show turns out to be really good. Uh, the Gifted, the X Men focus show on Fox, has been canceled. It will not get a season three. Obviously, uh, in light of the Disney Fox merger, uh, no word yet on if that could live on on Hulu or something like that. It just it will not be on Fox anymore, as uh, it was produced by a studio that now Disney owns, and Fox, the channel, is still part of Fox, and all that corporate stuff. Uh, We got a new trailer for Krypton Season 2, and we get a good look at how Brainiac will be involved. Doomsday, good look at Doomsday, and then Lobo as well, who I can't fucking wait for, because he is the man with a plan. Love Lobo, the last Zarnian. Awesome dude, awesome character at least. Some assorted things before we get into Game of Thrones... Uh, got a trailer for the relaunch of the Jurassic Park ride at Universal Studios, which will be now known as the Jurassic World. The ride will actually feature the Mosasaurus, that big, awesome underwater dinosaur from the first, uh, from both movies, I should say. It's in, it's involved in both of them, and uh, looks like they they changed the ride up a bit to kind of fit with the Jurassic World theme as opposed to the Jurassic Park theme. So we'll see how how that does. I'm excited to see that. I, I don't know if they're going to do that at uh, Universal Studios Hollywood just yet. I know that was mostly at Orlando at Islands of Adventure, but I'm sure they'll see how it works there to see how it affects the ride here in California. And I, for one, can't wait. The Jurassic Park ride was always one of my favorites. Uh, Universal Studios is a great place. I, I haven't been in a long time. I, I do want to go check out you know, the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. So I, I uh, can't wait to see what happens there, because it's going to be a great alternative until it will be a viable option to go to Star Wars Land at Disney, which is just going to be a fucking shit show for the first, like, year and a half, at least. Because, you know, it's Disneyland and just mobs of people. But anyway, let's, uh, let's close out the show here with Game of Thrones, huh? Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. The first episode of Season 8 was was great. Uh, we, we got uh, nice story beats on, on pretty much all the major players. Um, some loose ends are starting to tie up. Uh, uh, HBO announced that it was the highest viewing of their show ever. Uh, with 17.4 million people. Which is actually more than last year's premiere at 16.1 million. And even more than the season finale last year which was 16.9 million. So somehow they just keep getting more and more people... Uh, obviously as more and more people have a chance to binge it and catch up and things like this. So that is a huge number, especially for HBO, for a cable network to get 17.4 million viewers on a premiere. Um, it also came out that George Lucas was actually there while they were filming the first episode, and he helped direct a few scenes. Uh, you can actually see this in like the After the Thrones like little documentary clips that they do about the episode. But no, let, let's get into that episode, though. That, that was great. Obviously, spoilers ahead, so if you are averse to spoilers or are waiting till the end of the season to just binge it all at once, thank you guys for listening, this is going to be the essentially the end of the show for you here, but let's get into spoilers here. Obviously, we're, we're back at Winterfell, and the show opens with the Unsullied marching into Winterfell along with you know, Jon Snow and Daenerys and, and all those characters that were rescued at the end, uh, from from the horde of undead in uh uh north of the wall, and obviously after the wall came down. And it uh interesting dynamic right off the bat. So Bran and, and all of them are at Winterfell when they arrive. Sansa gives a very appropriately icy northern reaction to Daenerys, especially as northerners are mistrusting and You know, Jon has bent the knee after being declared king of the north. Obviously, there's a lot of tension there. The best thing, though, is just Bran, who gives these, like, super creepy death stares, because, you know, he's the three-eyed raven now, uh, but just straight up tells Daenerys, the Night King has one of your dragons, the wall has fallen, they're marching, and they're like, oh, shit, time to get into high gear here. Um, And it's actually really funny about that, uh, but the actor, Isaac Hempstead Wright, I'm not mistaken, was giving an interview and said that those death stares that he gives, those like blank, creepy stares that he gives in the show, are perfect. They just hap- they just happened by circumstance because he actually wears glasses normally. And obviously he can't wear them in the show, so he can't see a damn thing. So he's just like trying to focus on on just shapes. And that's how he's able to get this like creepy stare. And it works perfectly. Because he's supposed to be, like, out of touch because he's the three-eyed raven. And and, Anyway, a lot of character reunions. Arya and the Hound, who she thought was dead. Arya and Gendry, who she hasn't seen since, what is that, like, season two, I think. A nice interplay there to see them reunite and, and, and be together again. Jon and Sansa, obviously. Sansa and Tyrion haven't seen each other since season four. After Joffrey died at the at the the purple wedding, obviously between Joffrey and Marjorie. A, a lot of other character reunions that that played well, and I'm excited to see what happens with this show. Obviously, they're building up to a major major thing that's going to happen early in this season. Granted, we only have six episodes here, people, so things are going to start like moving real fucking quick. You know, like 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 snapping my fingers here, real fucking quick, and there is going to be a lot of major moves happening. Another thing that happens is, so obviously the wall came down at the end of Season 7, but we didn't know how far into the north the White Walkers and their army of undead have come. Um, And at some point we see, uh, so the Umbers, which are a bannermen of House Stark, leave early on in the episode to go back to their, their keep and gather their people and everything like that. So we cut to a little later in the episode and we see some of the members of, of the Night's Watch would come from Castle Black. They're exploring. Uh, they're exploring Last Hearth, which is uh, the 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 seat of House Umber. And and speaking of Last Hearth, we actually got a new opening cinematic uh, for Game of Thrones this season. Uh, they start north of the Wall this time and go through the opening. That's when they go to Last Hearth. That you see that that's that castle in the north. They go to Winterfell. They go. Uh, King's Landing is actually redesigned in the opening, and for the first time, we actually see this in in Winterfell and King's Landing. We actually get to see like interiors of the buildings being built up in a way that uh, of of traditional of of the opening. Um, but what's interesting though is we only get Last Hearth, the Wall, Winterfell, and King's Landing in the opening now. It, it doesn't show a whole lot of other places anymore because now the story is focused. On just a few uh, central places. A- anyway, going back. Um, so they're exploring Last Hearth. And they come into... Uh, they're going through the hallways. And they, they hear people walking around. They catch up. And it turns out it's uh, Tormund and Beric. Who were at the wall when it came down. And someone's about to attack Tormund. And he's like oh, his eyes are blue, and then Tom's like, my eyes were always blue, because, you know, after they get turned by a White Walker, their eyes turn blue. But it's a nice little reunion there between the characters. They go into the Great Hall of Last Hearth, and they find that the Umbers have already been mutilated by the White Walkers and arranged in uh, their weird spiral patterns that they make with, like, dead bodies and things. Uh, so it's clear now that the White Walkers and their army are a lot closer to Winterfell than previously thought. So... They have to book it back to Winterfell, which is kind of help speeding up the story. We also go to King's Landing. We see Cersei plotting with uh, Euron Greyjoy, as well as the Golden Company, uh, who are an army of sellswords. Theon rescues Yara from, from Euron's clutches, which we kind of saw at the end when like Theon jumped off the ship as a, in a cowardly move, but he made up for that. So that will set up um, him and his men going to help in the north. And then, in a bit of, of somewhat expectedness, Cersei has Master Maester Kyburn uh, go and fetch Braun, who, in my opinion, is the best character on the show, and hires Braun to go to the north to kill both Jaime and Tyrion, because at the end of Season 7, Jaime is seen riding north as snow begins to fall on King's Landing. Um, as Cersei is pissed... And went back on her promise to help Jon and Daenerys, and only Jamie goes, clearly signifying that she's going to betray Daenerys, and hopefully that they all die in the North, so she can continue on leading the Seven Kingdoms. Because she's a fucking bitch. I would use a different word, but that uh, I think that goes beyond the explicit words used on on Nix Nerd News. Um, it's a see you Nix Tuesday. But that's for damn sure. Seriously, fucking sucks. I I fucking hate her. And what was a was a bit of a gut-wrenching heartfelt moment though. Granted not super heartfelt, but like one that tugs at your heartstrings uh was the first interaction of Jamie and Bran since really the first episode when Jamie pushed him out of a a, a window. Um but but Jamie sees Bran paralyzed in a wheelchair and they lock eyes with Bran's weird ass stare and then it just ends. But Oh man, they are setting up a lot. Things are moving slow, but moving fast at at, a, at the same time. Again, six episodes total, so we only have five left to talk about. And obviously only four left to air as uh, by the time you hear this. But that was Game of Thrones. I'm excited to see where things go. Uh, there's a lot of new theories that I've been reading about. We'll talk about that next week because they tie more into Episode 2 than they do Episode 1. But uh, thanks for listening to Nick's Nerd News. As always, like us on... Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Nick's Nerd News on all three. Check out nixnerdnews.com. You can find links to the show, links to the social medias. Uh, If you want to listen on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify, or right in your browser, you can do so. Like, subscribe, comment, share. Share me with the world so everyone can hear the voice of Nick. And my my glorious interpretations and extrapolations on things. But, thanks for listening again. And uh, catch you guys on the flip side.